0: Good evening and welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Shayla Pirish. Thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up in today's broadcast of the Catholic View being a Thursday, we bring our feature on women. As today we take a look at gender pay gap, child marriage, and empowerment of girls. But we begin, as usual, with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. So do stay tuned.
1: Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, for a change.
0: And in your headlines this Thursday evening, African religious leaders call for peaceful elections during 2016. Income inequality gap at its highest. And green industrialization main focus for African Development Week. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Birish. We begin with African Church News. The opera Don Orione has opened a new community in Chiconela in the Diocese of Sheishai, Mozambique. The first presence of the Orionini fathers in Mozambique dates back to 2003 when they reached the outskirts of Maputo in Bagamoyo, followed by the structure for the disabled in Zimpetu. Now the agreement between the Bishop of Sheshai, His Excellency Monsignor Lucio Muandula, and the congregation provides in addition to the custody of the parish and the buildings of the church that will be dedicated to St. Luigi Orione, also to the realization of a school arts and crafts for the young ones in Shikonela. The Episcopal Conference of Zambia has called on all political parties and their presidential candidates to take steps to curb political-motivated violence ahead of the country's August 11 presidential election. Father Cleofas Lungu, secretary-general of the Zambian Catholic Bishops Conference, said the meeting made a number of proposals to deal with some of the root causes of the political tension and violence in that country. Several Ugandan Christian leaders have launched appeals for the release of opposition leader Dr. Kiza Besigi, who has been under house arrest since nineteenth February this year. Besigir was arrested during the elections that saw the reappointment of President Yoweri Museveni, who has been in power for 30 years. According to authorities, Kiza Besigir has been placed in a state of preventative arrest to prevent him from organizing protests likely to disturb public order. The opposition, however, interpreted these arrests as a plan to rally citizens to a mass uprising in protest of what he termed as election rigging, which subverbs the will of the people. In a keynote address during the first plenary assembly of the religious directors of Catholic communicators in Nigeria, Father Chris Anyawu said that over-reliance on communication technology cannot facilitate authentic communication. Father Anyawu noted that social networks can facilitate relationships and promote the good of society, but it can also lead to further polarization and division between individuals and groups if not wisely used. The theme of the plenary, Communication and Mercy, a fruitful encounter was taken from Pope Francis' Message for World Communications Day 2016, which the Church celebrates on the 8th of May. Speaking during a special meeting on inequality on Wednesday, the President of the UN Economic and Social Council, ECOSOC, said 7 out of 10 people in the world today live in countries where income inequality has risen, in many cases, to the highest level in 30 years. The UN Global Goals for 2030 have promised to reduce inequality and leave no one behind. Jocelyn Sambira has more.
2: More than half of the total wealth of the world is owned by the top earners, known as the 1%, said the ECOSOC president, Oh Jun. Gaps in income and wealth have consistently widened around the world, even though poverty rates have generally declined in every region of the world, he noted. These disparities have been made worse because of the unequal access to basic human needs like food, water, and health care. Here's Mr. June.
1: Around the world, women in rural areas remain three times more likely to die in childbirth than those in urban areas. And children born in poorer households are less likely to complete their primary education. When we see all of this, we realize that something may be seriously wrong, that if such trends continue, our communities will have to suffer social and political instability, often providing a breeding ground for Extremism.
2: 4 million people lack basic health care services around the world, according to UN figures.
0: And finally, on a lighter note, what do you think is the country where Pope Francis is most favorite? His native Argentina, Mexico or the Philippines? Well, a global opinion poll conducted by the market research organization, WIN, Gallup International, offers an answer that may surprise you.
3: The country where the pope is held with the most favorable opinion is Portugal, with 94% followed by the Philippines and Argentina. The report sought the views of more than 63,000 people in 64 countries. It claims that Pope Francis's image is recognized on a worldwide scale by people of other religious beliefs. The study argues that 54% of the world population has a positive opinion of the pontiff, whereas 12% have an unfavorable opinion and 34% do not have an opinion. The survey also notes that Pope Francis is ahead of other world leaders like Obama, Merkel, Cameron or Holland. Algeria is the country with the most unfavorable opinion of the Pope with a 28 percent, followed by Palestine and Turkey, with 27 and 26 percent, respectively.
0: Pope Francis has also increased his Twitter followers ninefold on the at Pontifex account during his three years of pontificate. This is confirmed by a SM reputation study, a project born at the University of Navarra in Spain, which analyzes the impact of the Pope's social network.
4: When the account was turned over to Francis, which released a few months prior, he had three million followers. Now there are more than 27 million between his nine accounts, thus increasing at a rate of 600,000 new followers a month. Francis's nationality has favorably influenced the impact of the Spanish account, which is followed by four out of 10 total followers. This surpasses the English account with 11 million followers. After the Spanish, English, Portuguese, and Italian accounts, the Polish account has experienced tremendous growth since the Pope announced that he would host the next World Youth Day in Krakow. Among his talked about issues, 40% of the tweets mention God or Jesus, but there is another word that has gained weight in recent months, mercy. Other repeated words include Syria, Iraq, or planet. The voice of the Pope is not only seen by his followers, but has spread to other Twitter users. This is because his messages have achieved 34 million retweets. Out of the social network, Francis is the most followed religious leader in the world. And as for his status as head of state, only Barack Obama exceeds him in followers.
0: And those were some of the news headlines right here on the Catholic View. Thank you once again for joining me this evening. It is a Catholic view coming to you on Radio Veritas 576 AM, and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Migration, climate change and what's been called green industrialization are just some of the issues topping the agenda when African economic and finance ministers gather in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, beginning this Thursday. The conference is part of the wider events for the first African Development Week, organized by the UN Economic Commission for Africa, known as the ECHA, and the African Union. Carlos Lopes is the ECHA Executive Secretary at the UN Economic Commission for Africa, UNECA.
1: There was a sentiment that over the years we have been improving in the quality of the knowledge sharing platform that has been associated with the Conference of Ministers and it was no longer just a statutory meeting. It was much more than that, it was the rendezvous, the meeting point for people to come and discuss about Africa's future from this perspective of economics, finance, development, planning and uh, last year we got about a thousand participants uh, 65 ministers came heads of state are now gracing the occasion with uh, their presence and we now call it Africa Development Week. What are some of the highlights and perhaps expected outcomes of the Africa Development Week? We are going to have Ajun Chang who is a very famous economist and has been one of the leaders of the so called institutional school of economics that makes uh, the case for a reinterpretation of theories about how the state should play a role in development. Last year we had uh, Donald Kaberuka, then president, outgoing president of the African Development Bank, and this year we have Ajun Chang, that we are very proud that he has accepted this invitation. People should remember this is a joint meeting with the African Union, so it is an opportunity also to bring the political dimension to these discussions. From the list of about 17 publications to be launched during the Africa Development Week, which two would you like to lay emphasis on? Our two most important uh, reports in this uh, series that we are going to launch uh, this week is a report that has been on the cooking for some time on corruption. Uh, This is a way of uh, saying the debate about corruption in Africa has to become more sophisticated. First, we had a number of uh, installments delivered on illicit financial flows thanks to a commission that was created under President Mbeki to uh, look into this issue. Now that we have a very good knowledge of illicit financial flows, we are expanding the scope to also include the issues of corruption particularly looking into the various indexes that look into corruption from different angles and demonstrating that most of them are not doing justice to Africa, not because we don't have corruption, but because we really need to tackle corruption from facts and not from perceptions, as it has been the case. And we are very happy that we are going to be able to launch this uh, installment on corruption that is part of our series on Africa Governance reports. We also have another report on industrialization. The economic report on Africa is making the case for an industrialization in Africa that will be very different from what has been done in other parts of the world. Because we are latecomers, we have the benefit of being latecomers. There is only one benefit of being latecomer, is to learn from others and have the experience of others so you don't go through the same mistakes. But of course, we are also cognizant of the fact that the field of industrialization and manufacturing is much more difficult than it was before. And obviously, knowing that, we have to look into any possible niche that will reposition Africa. And one of them is actually how we deal with the environmental damage. Because as others will have to retrofit what they have invested in terms of technologies, established processes uh, with a heavy carbon footprint, we can go a completely different route. First of all, because Africa now has the advantage of counting the cost of energy as being as low for producing renewables as it is for fossil fuels. Second, because Africa can demonstrate that by adding value to its uh, natural resources, we are diminishing emissions in the in the planet. And third, because we can leapfrog technologies to have a much cleaner platform uh, for manufacturing and production of industrial nature, particularly on agro So all of these elements are part of this discussion about greening Africa's industrialization, which is the subject of this year's economic report on Africa.
0: And that was Carlos López, the ECA Executive Secretary at the UN Economic Commission for Africa, UNECA, talking to us about green industrialization, the main focus for African Development Week, which began this Thursday in Ethiopia. Coming up next on Catholic View is our feature for women.
1: Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too
0: much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten
1: the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm
2: expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage, and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist: a person who believes in the social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference.
0: Welcome back to Catholic View's Women Feature. Today we focus on gender pay gap, child marriage and empowerment of girls. Women need to earn as much as men for doing the same job. That was the clear message from the head of the UN Women. Women in most countries earn an average only of 60 to 75% of men's wages. Jocelyn Sambira has this story.
2: Five years after an International Labour Organization convention on equal pay for men and women, the gender pay gap remains entrenched across all regions and most sectors. In Canada... Women who work full-time all year round earn only 77% of what men earn for the same work, according to media reports. When Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, was elected, he promised to push for pay equity to become a fundamental human right. Speaking at an interview-style discussion at the UN on equal pay, he drew big applause when he described himself as a feminist.
3: Until it is met with a shrug.
5: Uh, why does every time I say I'm a feminist, uh, you know, the Twitterverse explodes and uh, news media pick, pick it up? It shouldn't be something uh, that creates a reaction. It simply is saying, I believe in the equality of men and women, and I believe that we still have an awful lot of work to do to get there.
2: Meanwhile, Pumzilem Mlambo the UN Women Executive Director, says access to affordable childcare across the world is important to bridging this often overlooked gap.
0: I think the other thing that is also important is to understand that this, the discrimination that women experience in the workplace, which pays them less, starts with the fact that the way our society is structured makes the possibility of women just to work more impossible. If you think, for instance, of childcare uh, to begin with, because that thing called a baby happens everywhere in the world. We all know that little thing that we like called a baby. Someone has to look after it at home.
2: Closing the gender pay gap will reduce inequality in order to promote social justice and extend state support to working parents, UN Women believes.
0: A former child bride from Yemen, Khadija al-Salami, is a director of I Am Nojum, age 10 and divorced. Isabel Dupuis caught up with the filmmaker ahead of a screening at the UN headquarters during the latest session of the Commission on the Status of Woman. Ms. al-Salami explains why this was a story that she had to tell.
6: Well, I chose to make this film for several reasons one and is to educate people and bring awareness in order to make a change. And uh, this story has a, a special place in my heart. And when I heard about Nujud Ali's story, I was devastated just because she reminded me of myself when I, I was her age. I was forced uh, into marriage. And then when it came that uh, I heard that there is a French filmmaker who wants to make this film uh, as a fiction, I... I, I said, no way I have to make it because it's my own story <laughs> and it's the stories of all these young girls and it has, we have to tell the truth
2: from inside. You mentioned that Nojun's story is also your own. You were also married at a very young age. How did you manage to get out of this situation?
6: Well, at the beginning, I told my family I didn't want to get married. Personally, I didn't know what marriage was all about. But they insist that marriage is good for me, it's for my own protection and my own safety, because the honor uh, for the family is a big deal, and they have to protect the honor of their girls. So when I found out about what the marriage was all about, I was so devastated, traumatized, and I used to lock myself in the bathroom and knock my head on the wall until I fainted. And then finally, the, the man they married me to, he was fed up with me. And his friends advised him to send me back to my family. So my uncle wanted me to go back, and I refused. And he he um, threatened me, if I don't go, he will disown me. So I tried to commit suicide. So uh, the family said, okay, if you don't go back, we'll disown you. I said, that's fine. So what happened that my mom sold a all her belongings and uh, paid the man his money, the dowry that they had to pay. And then I got divorced and I went back to school right after. But uh, it was not that easy. It was a really big fight. And uh, it took uh, at least maybe 15 years that my family realized that I did the right thing. Now every members of the family they work encourage their daughters be like your aunt
2: and if a child bride could hear you now what message would you tell her
6: well i'll tell them now it's much easier than my time you have a lot of uh, ngos that you can go and seek for help just don't be afraid be courageous enough and you will have the life that you want to live
0: And finally, girls and women who take self-defense classes are more empowered and better prepared to protect themselves. So says Puja Nagpal, an 18-year-old student from the U.S. who founded a nonprofit organization which aims to stop gender violence. She spoke at a special session on bringing girls to the table during the Commission on the Status of Women held in New York recently. The session focused on goal number five of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, which strives for gender equality. Jenny Gangelosi asked Ms. Nakpal about her work.
5: So I started a nonprofit organization for a change defend where I teach self-defense and empowerment to girls and women in various areas of Los Angeles and in villages of India. I've been doing Taekwondo for about 12 years and I've been involved with various other martial arts. And using these street fighting and sort of skill-based techniques, I wanted to teach self-defense to those who didn't have anyone to protect them but themselves. Was there a particular incident that got you motivated to go and start doing this? Yes. In 2012, the Nurbea gang rape case occurred, where a young girl in Delhi was gang-raped and murdered on a city bus by six men. And this was particularly enlightening for me and struck me. Not only the fact that it was horrifying, but also I felt like many of the prosecutors and legislation wasn't geared towards helping women and girls. And I mean, I think even today some of the perpetrators may be free. So I wanted to use techniques to actually help the girls defend themselves rather than relying on society and the system to protect them. And how have local governments in India responded to you? In villages, actually, I've been getting a lot of support. I was recently certified to teach in over 451 schools by the District of Education in Chandigarh, which is a major city in India, which is you know, amazing for the program because I not only will train trainers to, to continue throughout the years, but it will be a government-certified curriculum to be implemented in schools. Goal number five in the SDGs is to do with gender. How do you feel about that? They're specifically targeting girls
3: and gender equality.
5: Gender inequality has been an issue for as long as we can remember. I think particularly in this day and age, it's becoming more forefront of an issue due to media and the fact that there's a lot of violence against women cases that are coming from campus sexual assaults in the United States to domestic violence cases in the U.S. and around the world, um, to sex trafficking and rape use as used as weapons of war and areas of conflict in India and other developing countries where violence is sort of just pushed under the rug. So it's so important that this issue is taken as a forefront of conversation rather than just pushed under the rug. And how do you feel it's different, you coming in, championing this as a girl
4: versus a man or a boy coming in and trying to do the same thing?
5: In many of the schools that I'd gone to, they had uh, programs where there was self-defense. However, no one really took them seriously because it was men and boys who taught them. And obviously this would make girls uncomfortable because there's a lot of physical movement involved. It also creates a sort of level of insensitivity because you don't actually understand the pressure points or the weaknesses of the physical body in escaping these chokeholds or situations of danger. So when a girl about their size and their age and look sort of like them. When um, she teaches, it actually gives sort of a mirror empowerment effect where they see themselves in that girl and see that that could be me, I could be facing a situation of danger and I could escape and I could not be fearful of my surroundings. (laughs)
0: You've been listening to Catholic View's Women Feature. Should you wish to send us information with regards to women who are making a difference in your community or in your parish, feel free to send those details to shayla at radioveritas.co.ca.
2: On the sands of time know there was something that And something that I left behind When I leave this world I'll leave no regrets Leave something to remember So they won't forget I was here I did, I've done everything that.
0: This has been your Thursday edition of the Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao,
2: ciao.